Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck sticks? What the fuck tuckians? Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you did what was right for you and for others in your fucking life. I hope you did that. It strikes me that not a lot of people, I don't think it's that they don't give a shit. There's just a certain a certain air of entitlement and uh, rolling of the dice. Ah, maybe I won't get it. I probably won't get it. If I do get it, it won't be the bad one. I won't get the bad one. That's how people start thinking about AIDS after Magic Johnson just kept living. That's how I, maybe I, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I don't have to, maybe I don't have to wrap this fucker. It's all bad. It spreads, it's bad. But look, look, if you're with family, I think you should know this, folks, that this is actually our 12th Thanksgiving show. Our 12th. And generally, as many of you know, who've been listening to for years, I usually have a little, almost like a guided meditation for uh, Thanksgiving for listeners. I, I guide them out of their homes, out into the streets to cry and take a walk. I got to put something together for this one. This one's different. I would like to mention that... Uh, Mike Campbell is on the show today, and he's the guitarist, was the guitarist for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rolling Stone named him one of the greatest guitarists of all times. And he's just put out a record with his band, The Dirty Knobs, called Reckless Abandon. Now, look, we've been sitting on this talk for a while. He pushed up the release of this thing because of covid and other things, whatever it was. But we recorded this in February. February. When the album was supposed to come out. February. Before the plague. February. Before the lovely Lynn Shelton left this sphere. February. Before my girlfriend died. Different fucking world, man. And I don't know if you can hear my voice. If you can hear that love was still alive actively in my voice, that fear of getting a disease that could kill you, not in my voice, not in my heart, not in my mind. Just the standard horrendous anger and terror of Trump. Now that's passing. 
But this was a different time, and it was just back in February. And I remember I wasn't I was trying to figure out, you know, how to approach Mike, you know, what to say to him. And then I realized how much, you know, I missed Tom Petty at that time and still do. And how much we all, if you think about it, how can you not miss Tom Petty? And I just remember that uh this is actually, you know, like before Lynn passed away, before condolences getting and giving them was a regular part of my life, I thought that the proper thing to do to open this conversation with Mike was to offer my condolences for the uh, the loss of his friend Tom, which I did. and it was, it was a heavy moment, but it's a moment I'm very familiar with now from the other side. But uh, I, I, I do think it was the right way to open. Anyway, I'll share that with you. In a few minutes. I don't even know what's going on today. Is the dog show on? The parade can't be happening. I don't know what your situation is. So I'm going to kind of give a. A two pronged. Peppy. A two pronged pepster. A two pronged pep talk. First of all. As I've said leading up to this day. Thanksgiving. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I know a lot of you are like. You didn't get to travel. But think about it. Are you one of those people that actually on some level is dreading the travel? Every part of getting to where you're going is an aggravation. And when you get there, you put up with it. It's aggravating. But look, I mean, it's it's what you know. I get it. Family's family. No matter how much you bitch, no matter how much you complain, no matter how miserable you are in it, it's predictable. You understand it. You lock into that groove. Even if you're isolating with your wife and your kid or your husband and your kid or your husband and your wife and no kid or your husband and your husband, whatever it is. If you've been holed up and just doing that thing, just scared all the time, maybe maybe it would be a relief to be around people that just make you miserable in a predictable way. Not terrified, just unhappy and questioning, you know, your entire ability to have any sense of well-being. Maybe you miss that. But if that's the position you're in, if you've chosen not to travel because it's the right thing to do out of fear for yourself, others, your family, take a minute and just do it. Actually, try to be grateful. Take a minute, sit down, look at the people you love if they're with you. If they're not there, look at the mirror. That's hard. I know. Fuck that guy. I know. Fuck her. I know. But look at her. Look at him. And say, hey, hey, we're fucking alive, man. We're still alive. Some days I don't want to be. Some days it's hard. But we're still alive and we're getting through this. We're getting through this. Together. Even though no one else is here, I know everybody else is experiencing roughly the same bullshit. And try to find it in your heart and in your mind to be a little grateful that you're pressing on. Whether you want to or not some days. And if, look, if you're, you've got a family and it's been difficult, be grateful you have love and children in your life. Right? That you have love in your life, that somebody's there that loves you, that you have these children, that you're okay. I think we can all, if it's possible, and maybe you're not, maybe, maybe things are terrible, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
I hope things get better, but there's got to be something you can find in your mind and in your heart to be grateful for. I mean, what else have we got? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what happens when we go back to whatever we were, where we were. We, there's no going back to what we had, to what we were, to how it was. There's no going back. Things are broken. Things are dirty. Things are polluted. Things are germy. Divisions have been nurtured and will remain. But I think as we head into this new year, as we head into the holidays, as we head into this day spent alone or with family, however you feel about it, I think a little gratitude's in order, but also a little bit of like, what am I going to do? Are we all just sort of chomping at the bit to get back to what we were? I don't know if that's going to happen, but what are we going to do? How are we going to step up? What changed? What did we see that happened that would make us go, you know what? I'm fucking done being this, being out of the loop. I'm done being detached. I'm done being apathetic. I'm done only caring about myself. I'm going to do what? I'm going to do what are you going to do? Figure it out in your gratitude, in your heart. How are you going to help? Right? So here's my standard. It's like, hey, if you're there, if you locked up, if you're holed up with family, you know, if you, you know, if you're nervous, if you feel terror, if you feel uncomfortable, if you feel angry, uh, you know, whatever, maybe you're regretting going, maybe you're nervous about COVID, whatever it is, get outside, no matter how cold it is and take a walk, take a walk around the block, squirt out a few tears, take some deep breaths, take a walk around the block with a doggy or a cousin that you love or a kid. Just take a walk around the block. Get some air. Look around. We're on the orb, the giant rock. It's still floating, still spinning. It's okay. You can still breathe. I don't know how long that'll be true for, but you can right now. Just get some air. And also, the other thing I want to say is, uh, you know, if you did have to go home or you are at home or maybe you've always been home or your folks just live down the street and maybe you're spending time with that family member who is a Trump supporter which is difficult, which has been difficult for four years because you've been nothing but filled with bile and anger, trying not to hate your relatives for being brain fucked by a grifter, by a pig grifter, President Pig Grifter, by trying to continue to see your relatives or your brother, your father, your sister, whoever, as, as the person you knew when you were growing up, as the person that had a good heart once, as a person who, who, who seemed reasonable but somehow became addled with bullshit and and just push their fear through the conspiracy template now things are shifting hopefully everything will continue to shift but i think you can now say to them that you understand them that you understand them if they're sitting there going like it was rigged you know it's like it's a lie you can just say look i understand i understand that your conception of America is different than mine, that what you think is American is different than what I think of America as, that what you understand this country to represent is different than me, that I understand that you think that Americans are supposed to lie and cheat and steal shamelessly, proudly to, to get what they want, they, that, that you understand that they believe that lying, 
cheating, and stealing and overturning the will of the people is an appropriate thing to do to hold on to power of the autocrat leader that they like and believe despite the facts. You can now look at your loved ones and say, I understand that what you hoped for and what you want more than anything at any cost to anyone around you or the country at large and the planet is an authoritarian system with an autocratic leader who's willing to lie and cheat and steal and break the current democratic system we have in order to maintain power. Just say, I understand you now that America to you is based on minority rule and racism and limited choices for all. And that liberty is relative to those who are willing to lie and cheat and steal and believe in autocracy and authoritarianism and that racism is justified. That the American melting pot, that the idea of democracy, that the idea of diversity, that the idea of equality is, uh, is bullshit. And that you understand that's what they think. And that you feel better now, after four years, to see clearly who you once thought were your friends or people you understood in your family. That you now know, okay, you believe in authoritarianism, you believe in minority rule, you are sympathetic to racists, and you think it's okay to lie and cheat and steal to subvert the democratic election process in order to gain power. And that you believe that having no moral center and no sense of values is strength. And just say that to them. Just say, I get it now. Could you pass the potatoes? Yeah, well, it's not going to, you know, it's, you can pick that up again in four years if that's the way it's going to go. But right now, by the fucking skin of our ass, we've held on to this republic somehow and democracy as we understand it. But I get it. I get who you are. And we all know now. We all know who your friends are. And we all know what the people that you believe in and who believe with you, what they look like and what they believe in. And a lot of it is just complicated bullshit and garbage. I understand you were fragile and vulnerable and you let a grifting pig fuck your brain up and you support it with internet sewage that you string together like a goddamn crown of thorns around your dumb head and justify your victimhood as an entitled white person. So go fuck yourself, Grandpa. Can I get a little more turkey? Hey, um... So look, Mike Campbell was here, as I said, in February before COVID, before uh, the lovely Lynn Shelton passed away, and they moved up the release of the record, and now he's here. But it's interesting. Maybe you can hear a tonal difference. But I did choose, as I said earlier, to offer my condolences as a way to open this conversation, which is something I became very familiar with uh, being on the other side of. And But it was uh, it, to me, it felt right, because I miss Tom, and God knows he must have. So this is me uh, talking to Mike Campbell, the uh, member of Tom Petty's Heartbreakers, and uh, his band, The Dirty Knobs, has a record out, Reckless Abandon, which is available now wherever you get your music. And uh, this was recorded back in February before everything broke. <laughs> 
Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm assuming that um, your home studio is music oriented. Oh yeah, I make records. Yeah. You use those in the studio to sing into? I do. It's a uh, SM7. SM7. In fact, I use it on the, on the record. You did? And I always it's interesting you would do that because I always used to have this posh, you know, old Neumann mic and right. Draculia said, "Come now, just use this for tracking," and I liked it so much. We ended up doing all the vocals on it on one of these. Yeah, like it, it, well, I, I'm not like I'm not as much of a nerd as I should be. Like, what what mm-hmm. what is the difference? Like, you had a big Neumann. What are they Neumann? Neumann. Well, the Neumann is what you call a condenser mic. Okay. Technically, one of the condenser mic picks up all the whole that. room. Yeah. And this is a directional mic. Right. Dynamic. Like it picks up right here. Right. And so if you're tracking with a band and you've got one of those condenser mics, it's a mess. Right. But if you've got this down here, all it picks up mostly is your voice, so you can... Go. You, you can, can go play it all live. Yeah. Did you guys do that with this We record? did, mostly live, yeah. Of course, some of the vocals I did over. After? But we tracked live with this, and then I went to do the vocals, and I liked the sound of this, so we ended up using it. It makes a big difference, right, to track it live? Absolutely. Because yeah. I, like, I listen to the record, and it just seems like, you know, all of it seems so well integrated, none of it. Because I think you guys, you guys must have, did you do that on the last Petty record, too? On the last couple of records, yeah. yeah. Well, there's lots of ways. To, are we starting now? Sure. Okay, there's lots of ways to make records, uh, and I've uh, but done Before em. we start, I do want to say, you know, I'm sorry for the loss of your friend, and, uh, you know, I wanted to say that to you. Thank you, sir. And, uh, you know, it, it's a... Caught it's me a, off guard there for a second. I'm yeah. sorry, buddy. I'm okay, but uh, let's get that out of the way, yeah. I think I'm over it, and then somebody will say something and go, "Oh yeah, uh, thank you." Yeah, <clears throat> I'm I'm working on it. Okay, good man. It was rough. Uh, God bet. bless him. But um, yeah, we made a lot of records yeah. together, and in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. And you can make a record like with Jeff Lynn, for instance. Yeah, building up the record maybe piecemeal. Yeah. And then you have a record, you right? Know? But you can feel that with a Jeff Lynn record. You can, and there's a. It's a great way to do it, but it's different. We got to the point where we had done several records like that. Yeah. And then we decided, you know, it's really more fun to have the guys all around and try to get that chemistry yeah. in that moment where right. everybody breathes. Yeah. And so Heartbreakers, the last two or three albums at our clubhouse, we just recorded there live with no headphones. Where's that? In the, in the hills? It's out in the valley. Oh, out yeah. In the middle of the valley. Yeah. Okay. In the industrial section. Yeah. No headphones. No headphones. We had some little vocal monitors, kept them low. No And kidding. play in the room. Uh-huh. And so on the Dirty Knobs record, that, that's how I really prefer to do it. 
Yeah. It's organic. It's, we're all playing live. Right. The solos are all live and during the take. Yeah. And, you know, the vocals, some of them are live. Some of them I went back because I could do them a little better. Sure. Um, but that's the kind of record I wanted to make was everybody performing at the same time. Yeah. And you know what's great about the, the record is that, like, I can hear your whole history of who you are on that thing musically and what influenced you do you know what i mean like you know there's a lot of stuff uh, like i can hear florida i can (laughs) hear you know i can hear the blues i can hear the country like you can take the boy out of the south but you can't take the south out of the boy i guess not man (laughs) there's like that one cut on there uh with uh the the southern boy one with that yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucking love that, man. Thank you. That's one of my favorite tracks. Great is drummer. It? Yeah, who is that guy? Matt Log. Yeah? Uh, What's his story? His story is he's played he's, a lot of sessions. He played on a, a Lonis Morissette hit, mm. You Ought to Know, many years ago. And, yeah. And he was a session player. I didn't really know who he was. Uh-huh. And he did some touring with Slash yeah. for a while there. Oh, really? So he's used to playing some big gigs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he just like the, all these guys, the Dirty Noms just appeared. I didn't audition a band. I just met some, met the guitar player. He knew the drummer. The Who, drummer where's knew. the guitar player from? He's from L.A. He's a been around Beverly, a while. Beverly guy? Hills kid. Yeah. 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 He's been studio around. guy or what? Well, sort of. He had a band back in the '80s. It didn't happen. But mostly, he's just. Uh, uh, he didn't do a lot of sessions. He's just a player. He's just a good player. Yeah. And I met him at a session. Uh huh. But uh, we just headed off, and, uh-huh. and it was, and then he, you know, like I said, the band, the four guys, I, they were the first four guys that showed up. Wow! And, and he just, all the personalities <laughs> were just right. I mean, how lucky am I? <laughs> yeah, that is pretty lucky. How'd you? Uh, but you didn't know. Um, you, you didn't like. You, you never really played with them before. No, that's wild. Yeah. So. The other one, I want to ask you some gear questions on Don't Wait. Was that P90? No. no. Don't Wait was a 59 Les Paul with the humbuckers on the bass pickup. Okay, okay. Yeah, maybe we'll even the tone all the way off. On the bass. Bass pickup. So that's where you got that... That cream sort of tone. Yeah, yeah. The 59. My only 59, yeah. You've only got one? Well, yeah. I could barely get that one. (laughs) It's crazy, right? It's insane. I didn't know anything about this shit because I'm not a real guitar nerd, but I'm I'm a big Peter Green fan. Okay. And I don't know... Like, I didn't know that the 59 was a thing until, like, recently, but it's really yeah. a thing. It's the Stradivarius of electric guitar. Um, what, what makes it that? You know, I think it was just that year, the wood, the the neck was maybe a little bit thicker than the next year. Yeah. The pick, the alloy, the metal. Is it the sun? You got the red eye, the sunburst one? Yeah. That's the one, right? And um, That's the one Walsh has. I, and there's Paige. a story behind how I got that. Really? So I'll keep it short. But no, no, we got time. They're, they're ridiculously expensive. So the first time, I know I, Jason Isbell just bought one, and I know how go. much it costs. Okay, but well, we won't get into the numbers. No. But <laughs> it's it's out there. It, it's it's like it's crazy. It's sick. You know, it's it's wrong. It's as expensive as a card gets when it's not attached to a name. There you go. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a guy from Hollywood named Albert who used to have a store called Guitars R Us, Mm -hmm. and we would get guitars from him. And so he had collected a few 59s over the years, and he called me up uh, 10 years ago and said, I've got a 1959 Les Paul. Yeah. And um, 
I said, well, you know, I've already got this. You should try this one. I'll leave it at your house for a few days. And if you don't like it. He's trying to sell it to you 10 years ago before they were cool or what? Uh, right before they were catching on in right. a big way. Okay. But they were already like right. there. Yeah, yeah. So I played it for, and I was getting ready to go on tour. I played it for a few days, and I thought, you know what? This is not jangly. I'm used to a... Oh, yeah, a Rickenbacker or something. so I don't know that I'm, that I need this, especially for that kind of money. So I, I said, you know, I'm going on tour. Thanks anyway. And yeah. I gave it back to him. Uh-huh. My wife calls me yeah. about a week later. She goes, you know what? I think you should get that, if for nothing else, for an investment. You know, she's one of those. Uh-huh. And so I said, oh, okay, call him back. He'd sold it. Oh! So flash forward... Five years later, yeah. the one I have now, same story. Hey, Mike, I got this one. It's even better than the other one. Take it for a few days, and if you like it. Yeah. So I did, and by now the number was five times what the other oh, one Oh, my God. Which I did not have on me at the time, but once again, I was getting ready to go on tour. And I, this guitar I fell in love with, so I said, look, really? Albert, and, uh, what if I give you half now yeah. and half at the end of the tour? <laughs> <laughs> so we worked out a deal. Yeah. He trusted and, you. Yeah. And so that's the one I have now. I used it on Mojo and Hypnotic Eye, and Tom loved it. We started making records around that sound. Around that guitar sound. And that's on that song you mentioned. That's the one on uh, Don't Wait. Don't Wait is the thick yeah. Les Paul on the bass pickup, the old yeah. Eric Clapton trick where you turn the tune all the way up, yeah. all the way off, yeah. bass pickup all the way up, and the amp cranked up, and it gets the, that kind of moment tone, they call it. Oh, is that what it is? And that's what I was doing. I was trying to emulate that sound on oh, that song. Oh, that's a so trip, man. Well so, spotted. Yeah. What, what, and you got that through, uh, what, do you, what amps are you playing through? Well, mostly little Fenders, uh, oh, Fender really? Deluxes. I think like that I, thing there? I got a 53 Deluxe in there. Those are beautiful. Yeah. We used that. On that particular album, though, I, I was using this Duesenberg amp uh, that they made, which is relatively small, yeah. that was modeled after that. And you got to crank them, right? Yeah. I mean, to get the tone, you got to- Yeah, you push it up there until <laughs> <laughs> it gets sweet. But yeah. it's sort of wild to me that you were, that you were so used to jangly guitars. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, what was that? You said 10 years ago? Yeah, that when you bought that one, because yeah. you, that, I mean, that was sort of the that because I, you, I identify you guys, I connect you with Fenders and Rickenbackers, exactly, right, exactly. I mean, that was the trip all the way from way back, like when you started. That was the stuff that we loved that we grew up on. Like we come from Florida, right? Yeah, what was going on in Florida? What well, year, man? This would have been seventy two. Seventy two, and it was right when the Almond Brothers were happening and Leonard Skinner and all those bands were playing. Les Pauls. Did you go see the Allman Brothers? I never saw the Allman Skinner? Brothers. I saw Skinner. We played some gigs with them. Back in back in Florida? On the back of a truck. Yeah, back in Jacksonville and stuff. And they were nobody yet either. How were, how were they as guys? I didn't get to talk to them much. Really? But uh, we played some gigs with them and said hi to them and they were friendly. Were they good They're then? from Jacksonville. I know. Which is where I'm from. Yeah. yeah, they were great. They sound just like they do now. It's kind of crazy, right? You just had it, have it, I guess, if, at an early age. In the back of it. trucks you played with them? You said, you, you yeah, it was a, it was a, a flatbed truck set up in a in a in a field, <laughs> you know, and there was like two hundred hippies there. It was a you festival. Know? It was a so-called love in, I guess. Oh yeah, know. back in the seventies. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it was funky, but it was beautiful, you know. Yeah, yeah. But to get back to my point, yeah, um, a lot of bands in Florida around that time were going after the Almond Brothers sound, like two, three guitars, thick, yeah. Right. And we never really liked that. We were inspired more by the Beatles, the Stones, the Animals, mm. Kinks, mm. the bright, jangly, bright, you know. Really? Kinks were played in there early oh, yeah, on? The Kinks are a major influence, yeah. Really? So when the Heartbreakers started making records, we had Rickenbackers and Fenders mostly. Yeah. 
And that became the sound that we were used to, the bright, jangly sound. So the Les Paul was another world for me. I had to get used to it, but then I found a way to do it. You know? Oh, that's that's wild. But it took it took a while, huh? A little while, yeah, not too long. Because like, I, <laughs> but I mean, I remember like listening to, um, like the like the first Heartbreakers record, like that. It's so weird to, when you know to think about these records because like I've listened to that first Heartbreakers record. You know, uh, thousands of times. Wow. I mean, you, you know what I mean? All my life. Thank you. I listened to it. I remember I got it in high school. But it's strange that my favorite songs on there are not, the, you know, like Mystery Man. Mm. What a great fucking song that is. And that's a one take, yeah. Really? Yeah. And do, do, who wrote that? You and Tom? Tom wrote that song. Yeah. I wrote the guitar. That guitar the, riff is great, man. It's like well, it's straight up country riff almost. That was my Fender broadcaster. And yeah. Tom played a strap. Oh, you had an old broadcaster? Yeah. And that was my main guitar, but that song's a perfect example. Yeah. Tom had the chords. Right. I just went do 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 do. Yeah. Yeah. And it turned into that song. Very Van Morrison influenced. Sure. Yeah. With the but that night, you let those open strings ring a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We just yeah. We, we stumbled on that. You know. Yeah. So. Oh man, and also uh, Wild One Forever. Oh I, yeah. That fucking love that song. I do too. Thank you. I, he sings the shit out of it too. It's a real, it's a real teenage kind of song. It is because yeah. I was a teenager. <laughs> well, there you go. Did I just sit there thinking about the girl that I couldn't get? I'm still a teenager in heart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, well, you got to, you got to be. So, like, moving through all that stuff. I mean, yeah, did you wow. guys? Yeah, wait, you thinking about it? Yeah, it's great. You bring good memories. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's 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 always the songs for me that like the you know, of course American Girl, but I mean I, all the mm. other ones. That was my first rocking around with you too. That guitar, mm. that was crazy, man. That sound. Down, 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 down. Like what was that? You remember? Yeah, the rocking around with you was the first song I ever wrote with Tom, and it was my riff. Yeah, yeah. Oh right, 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 right. The broadcaster. Yeah. And uh, he wrote those great words to it. And uh, that we were off and running. Oh man! And it's so before that though, when you guys were just hanging around in Florida, like I know you guys did the um, uh, mud uh, mud uh, mud crutch mud crutch. Uh, you guys play you. That's when you started with those guys. Yeah, Tom had a band called Mud. Crutch. Yeah. And then I joined. Yeah. But were you just out there? Like, I know I remember seeing the documentary and you sort of are captured as this guy. Like, you kind of lived somewhere in the country. <laughs> and you're like, you're some kind of guitar hermit. Some kind like, of, yeah. Some sort of a young yeah. wizard. Well. Yeah. But the wizard part. But yeah, I had a house out in the country with my drummer, Randall Marsh. Uh huh. And I had seen Mudcrutch play at the college. Yeah. And they were kind of a Burrito Brothers type band. They were doing country numbers? Country rock with uh -huh. harmonies. Yeah. And until then, I'd been in like blues type bands. Uh -huh. And then, uh, so my band broke up, and I told a drummer, I said, they're auditioning a drummer. Yeah. And uh, you ought to try them out. So he invited them out to our little farmhouse. Right. I was in the back room uh, with my short hair and my cutoffs. Really? And yeah. And uh, the story goes, you know. Yeah. That he auditioned, and they said, "Oh, we just lost our guitar player. Do you know any guitar players?" Yeah. Well, there's this guy in the back room, you know, and I had a Japanese guitar, a little sixty-dollar Goya. Uh huh. And so I come walking out with that, and they looked at me, and you could see their face go, "Oh no, how do we get out of this?" You know, we're <laughs> stuck with this guy the rest of the afternoon. Yeah. And they go, "So um, we're, you know, you want to uh, play something? What do you know?" I said, "Well, how about Johnny Be Good?" 
Sure. You know, da, 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 da. Start. We played the song and we got to the end of it and Tom goes, I don't know who you are, but you're in my band. <laughs> and that's, it just happened just like that. It was destiny. It was on Johnny Be Good? Johnny Be Good. Holy I figured that's something that everybody knows. You know, that's I, what, I, I knew it really well. That's all I know. I'd studied Chuck <laughs> Berry. You, know, you had? So, so I think it impressed them that I knew knew the right way to do it. You know? That's the interesting thing about that thing, about Chuck Berry, because you know, when I, the more I pay attention to hearing you say that and also like seeing that doc with Keith, you know, when, you know, Keith mm. did the Chuck Hill, Berry. Hell, rock and roll. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, and I'm a Keith freak, but, you know, it's not, it, it's not as simple as like, can't, 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 can't. There's, oh. a, there's a bounce to it. Oh, yeah. Well, he stole that from uh, Louis Jordan, the swing band. Okay. Da, 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 da. It was a horn, oh, right, right, a okay. horn kind of thing. Yeah. And he made it. It wasn't Jimmy car. Johnson? Well, he was in the band, but right. those lines, a lot of them, uh, our, I've our, read, our, I've read that yeah. he got from the Louis Jordan no swing kidding. band. No kidding, yeah. So they have a swing. Right. Know? But he exactly. bounces on that guitar. It's a exactly. weird fucking rhythm, man. It's the rhythm. Yeah. He found it, yeah. Did it take you a while to get that? I'm still working on that. <laughs> right? Because, you know, you know, just, that's a good point. Because yeah. a lot of people play Chuck Berry, and they don't play it right. No. They play the notes. Right. But it's all like this. Yeah, yeah. And his thing is... <laughs> yeah. It, it's almost like a shuffle and a straight beat together. It's a weird bounce, and when man. they meet in the middle, that's the Chuck Berry magic. Yeah. And that's hard to do. Dylan knew how to do that. Oh, did he? he, he yeah. But that's interesting you would bring that up, because that's... Uh, you can tell somebody... Really, if got they really study dug it, in. They they don't play it straight, just straight. They play it with a little swing and, right. and bounce to it. Dylan you know? could do it. Yeah, he knew the difference. Really? Yeah. Did you talk to him about it? You yeah, we hear did. It. We did. Cause you he, talked specifically well, about I'll it. I'll tell you a story about yeah. that. We were in rehearsal. Yeah. And he he was on electric guitar for for what the tour for the tour that we were going to do yeah. with him. And we were playing uh, some Chuck Berryish thing. Uh huh. And I don't know if this is you know, technical, but most of the band's going junk and junk and junk and junk and junk, right? Right, the, stri- the bar band way to straight, do it. Straight, the straight Yeah, beat, yeah. Which is okay. Yeah, sure. And then uh, Dylan was playing the other junk, 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 junk against uh-huh. it. Yeah. And at first I was thinking, like, that's wrong. He's not playing with us. Yeah. And then we stopped and he goes, I'm looking for that middle point. Yeah. If I play this and you play that and we meet in the middle, that's where it happens. And he taught me that. <laughs> And that was like you know, something you learned. You're well into your your career, man. Yeah, but you got. As I'd a never musician, heard it explained quite that way. Uh-huh. But then it made sense to me. You know? Well, that's what I realized a few years ago is that you know with blues or with that kind of rock and roll, like any bar band can play it. That's right, right. Anybody can do it, which is the problem and the beauty of it. Yeah. But in order to own it, you got to find your source, and you know, and, and if you don't go back and really figure out what the fuck Chuck is doing, how you where are you going to start from? Well, it's a mysterious thing, swing. Uh huh. You know. Yeah, it is right. You need a and drummer that can do it. True. Yeah. The whole band has to do it yeah. to work, but yeah. it's and it's even hard to explain. But you know it when you feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I, I just remember that Petty song that went down swinging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a big three chord guy. Yeah, yeah, I like three chords too. Right, three chords and the truth. Right, that's exactly right. That's what country <laughs> music is. Did you watch that documentary? I haven't seen it, dude. Yet. You got to watch it. I'm dying to see it. It's though. crazy. I hear. Yeah, it all goes back to Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family. Mm. That's where he starts. Perfect. And you yeah. work with Cash too, right? I did. Would you on the first one? On the first uh, Def- uh, American one? Yeah, quite a, a couple of them. The first one, and uh, and the Heartbreakers did a record with him too. Oh, that's right. With Rick Rubin. With Rick Rubin producing. But I spent a lot of time with him, and that was uh, one of the greatest times of my life, really. Well, you seem to be sort of like you know pick stuff up and you're always you know open to sort of new shit and learning. What did you What did you take from him? Oh, so much. Yeah. 
mostly what a what a beautiful human being he was. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I could tell you a story to demonstrate yeah. that. Um, when I was growing up, my dad would was in the Air Force. He'd come home and lay on the couch, and he'd put on either Elvis or Johnny Cash. Yeah. And he'd lay on the couch and just zone out. Yeah. And I, I would go, what what is he hearing? What is... Right. There's something going on here. Okay, yeah. so that was my first introduction to that music. So when... We were on tour, and the Heartbreakers were on tour in Europe, Yeah, and the Highwaymen were in the same town as us. I think it was Copenhagen. That so night. that's Chris Christopherson, Waylon, Johnny, and Willie? Yes. Okay. And I had never met Johnny before, uh-huh. but we went backstage before the show, and were introduced to everybody. Uh-huh. And Johnny was sitting there, and of course, the first thing out of my mouth is, Johnny, you know, my dad played your records all the time. Yeah. I love those records. And I said, my favorite song is, Don't Take Your Guns to Town. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that song or not. Yeah. And he said, oh, he goes, yeah, we're not doing that tonight. I'm really sorry. Okay, but. Yeah. So they get up in, their, in the middle of the show. All of a sudden he goes, I'd like to do this song we don't normally do. And he played that song for me. <laughs> so that's Johnny Cash. That's that's him in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful human being. Very generous. And how did, how did, did it make you cry? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we just, uh, we were really close and. uh he treated me really nice, and uh, of course, musically, he was just inspiring, and uh, it's, it's great to be around him. It's interesting because, like, you know, for a guy, because a guy like that who who was such a rock in terms of you know how you know he handled like how he was musically, like you know you, you he was essentially Johnny Cash, but right. somehow or another, you know, you know, you guys, you could back him, and it, it would all make sense. Like there, it, that's how a big a personality he was, I yeah. guess, right? Yeah. You're never going to overcome Johnny Cash. No. Right? No, when he would walk in the room, it was Johnny's room. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he was one of those guys, and it was great. Of course. And he was so kind and open and uh, talented. How much did ch- did country play into your early life outside of your old man and Johnny Cash? I mean, were you a country guy? Uh, no, I was always kind of rock and roll. You yeah. Know, the Beatles, the Stones. But I also went back and, and dug up Muddy Waters, Helen Wolf. And you had to, right. Hank Williams. Oh, you know, right. I, I grew up right at the end of that stuff, and I, right. I, I soaked it up. Um, you got to go back for the Muddy. <laughs> yeah, well, I did. You yeah. Know. I mean, there's no and, other way to go. How you, there's, that's the only way it's available. I know, and you know it was uh, it was a tribute to a lot of the English groups that called. They brought atten- it, man. Called attention. These are black artists that America, you're right. like overlooking. You know, right. Jimmy Reed, Jimmy, Helen Wolf, yep, Willie Dixon, yeah, uh, Muddy Waters, and amazing. John Lee stuff. Hooker, you did John a John Lee, Lee Hooker, Hooker groove on this record. Bo Diddley, Bo did all those guys. Yeah. So, uh, but you, you know, did that. Uh, you did the don't don't. Uh, don't was, knock the boogie. Don't knock the boogie. It's like <laughs> yeah. straight up hooker, man. Straight for it, yeah. Right? Yeah. Did you ever play with that guy? Yes, I did. A couple oh. of times. He sat in with us. And really? What a what an amazing guy. Yeah. We're up in the Bay Area? At the Fillmore. Yeah, right. And we did a stand up there back in the late 90s. He came out. With the Heartbreakers? Yeah. And you guys you just walk in, right? Oh, yeah. One chord. Yeah. <laughs> Just follow I'll John. I'll tell you a great story about yeah, John Lee yeah, Hooker. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, you know, the, uh, the Golden Bear in Huntington Beach used uh-huh. to be this great club. Uh-huh. And my wife and I went down to see him, John Lee Hooker. Yeah. And he had a pickup band. Uh-huh. And, you know, we're sitting there, and it's, it's good. And they get into the, the boogie thing, right? Yeah. And they start doing this boogie. And, uh, 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 right. And I go, oh, yeah, this is so great. You know, we're here with him. Yeah. And it went on for like 10 minutes. Right. And then it got real quiet, just still grooving. Yeah. And he started going. I'm the boogeyman. Yeah, yeah. You know, for another two minutes. 
I'm the boogeyman. That's all he said. Yeah. And then it got real quiet and he looked at the audience and he goes, I started it. <laughs> and I just wanted to fall into my chair. Yes, you did, <laughs> sir. And thank you for reminding me. <laughs> he did. What man. a cool guy, yeah. He did you know, I was ta- I had I talked to Buddy Guy. Mm. Yeah, and he's got some great stories oh, about bet. Chicago and about those dudes and about like, you know, how people you know, I it, it's so amazing to hear those stories about like those guys that invented that shit. He started it. Right. Did you ever listen to that hooker? How'd you he, like to be the guy that started the boogie? He did, and no one can do it. <laughs> and you, you can't argue. You're right. Yeah, that's your thing, man. <laughs> you got it. Like, did you ever listen to that hooker and heat record? Yeah. You can't. Like, because yeah. that's that was a that's an amazing record where he's mm-hmm. where he's playing and he's got canned heat there and he's got that mm-hmm. guy Rob. What's his name? Wilson, uh, the the main dude. They're all like blues nuts, right? Yeah, Wilson. Yeah, Al, Al, Al Wilson. Al Wilson. Al, is it Al Wilson? Yeah. Al Wilson. Yeah. And. Uh, he kept saying, I can't shake you guys. You must have studied my records, you know, because you got that guy <laughs> yeah. on harp going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. They I, were a cool band. I love that shit. Have you seen the Paul Butterfield documentary? No. Is it on Netflix? You would love it. It is. I found it the other day, and it's got a lot of footage from Chicago with Muddy and How- and Howlin' Wolf and Mike Bloomfield, which you hardly ever see. Whoa. Of them starting out. You would love it. He's a 59 Gibson guy, right? Bloomfield and a, and a Strat guy. He started with a Telly. A Telly. And then later on, he moved up to the Les Paul, yeah. But that's You'll, a great documentary. I've got to check that out because I just watched, I just got the Criterion channel and I watched some of the outtakes from the Newport Folk Festival and they had a Paul Butterfield run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, you know, I never, it was so funny because like uh, I'm watching it and he's got, he's playing the harp like, you know. Upside down. He's playing, but he's playing it out here. Right. Like out here. And I'm like, why is he so far away from the mm-hmm. mic? And he kind of builds it up. And then the last verse, he leans into that bullet mic and he goes, and he just, it was all built. It was a well, trick. I learned something about him, too. You know, the harp is usually low notes and high notes. Yeah, right. He plays the other way around. Really? So it's he plays it upside documentary. down? Yeah. Huh. I wonder if that's how he learned. That's probably just how he picked it up and learned that. Who's way. playing on your record? You? The harmonica? Yeah. Yeah. It's fun, right? Yeah, harmonica. Anybody be sucking blow. You know? Yeah, man. I can't play like Paul Butterfield. No, but, I, but you I know, you get a few notes in there. But that's know? the thing about you know that that's the other thing I noticed. I realized about music recently, and and I talked. I just talked to uh, Kathy Valentine. Oh, from the Go Go's. Yeah, right? I and know her. It, yeah. yeah, she's uh, sweet. She's really, she's got a new book, and uh, mm. it's it's nice. But but we we're just talking about how. Uh, you know, like it's not about virtuosity. It's about you know you coming through your shit. The, how you f- it's how you play it. Tone. It's just uh you know it's like the point she made. She G- Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. She's from Austin. He's from Austin. Okay. And Stevie Ray, you know, they were talking about Jimmy Vaughan. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. who's great. Right. Love oh, Jimmy. Yeah. And he said, Stevie Ray said, when I play, I put everything I have into it. When my brother plays, he put in about 10%. <laughs> because it's a choice, yeah. you know, because that's where his sound is. I see that, yeah. Isn't that wild? Like, you know, it's not about, like, like we we're just talking about harmonica. Uh-huh. You don't have to be Paul Butterfield to, to sound like you feel something through an instrument, right? True, true. The feeling, yeah. Yeah, but like when you were when you were starting out, though, you know your your idols were who you know we we discussed some of your heroes. But I mean, you what what is it that because you play a specific way and you leave a lot of space and you're very tasteful and you're not showing off and you know how to adapt and you know you can clearly tell who you are. I mean, did you make decisions early on to to not do certain things and do certain things? I didn't make any decisions. I just. Uh 
I just learned from the records I liked, you know. And who were the biggest ones that you taught you how to play guitar? Well, over and the over. The first again. things I heard were Luther Perkins oh. and Scotty Moore. Oh yeah, Elvis. But guy. then when I got to to my age and yeah. the Beatles and all those that all those British bands came along, yeah, I just was gone on that, you know. And a lot of those songs are three minute songs. They have guitar parts, but they don't have long solos. Yeah, and that's just how I thought you do it you know and that's how that's what I wanted to emulate did you like George oh yeah I love George and you got to work with him too I did like you and Tom yeah, and George I was did blessed to, to the Wilburys yeah I was around for some of that yeah and what did you work with him other than that uh, I did some sh I did a concert with George at Albert Hall once really uh, he asked me to, to, to play a concert with him and we did a lot of, you know, he worked on Full Moon Fever a little bit, so he was oh, over around that. Well, I mean, the Jeff Wynn record. Yeah, George is a whole other book. I mean, I could tell you what a wonderful guy he was, but a great influence uh, guitar-wise, his guitar parts. And I think when I when I play guitar, yeah, I try to emulate those guys, you know, yeah. Keith and George Harrison. Keith and Richards? Keith Richards. Yeah. And all those, the, the bands, the, the Kinks, Animals, their guitar parts were really simple, yeah, but melodic, and they don't get in the way of the song. You know, they yeah. do a job, and then they allow the song to, to uh, you know, blossom. Well, that well, that's interesting to, like, separate those two, because, like, you know, I'm a huge Keith guy. I'm a George guy to a degree, but I don't know that I really can understand or appreciate specifically what he brings to the guitar that makes him who he is. What George? is that? Yeah. Well, he's a melodic player, yep. and he's got a little bit of Chet Atkins finger picking here and oh, there. Okay, and he's just a he's just a feel player. He plays with a great feel. There's a sadness to it too. A, a sadness, bit. a little, soul. Mm. He plays with soul, especially when he started playing slide. He found yeah. a whole new voice for himself, and he was just a genius at taking those songs, those Lennon McCartney songs, yeah. and finding bits for it. Right, like for instance, that song uh, "You Can't Do That." Yeah. Dan, 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 Dan. He told me one day that they were recording that, and they he hadn't didn't have that guitar part. Ah. Oh. And they had the chords, and they said, "Okay, uh, we're going to do this track now, George." Do something, yeah. And so he just went, down, 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 which is the lick. Yeah, it makes the song right. And that's the kind of player he was. He could come up with just the right piece that fit the song. That's uh, yeah, amazing. And that's a genius. I mean, yeah. To me. And all those songs, if you listen to the guitar closely, it's pretty brilliant playing. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it no, it, no one sounds like that. No, and it fits like, the song. And those ones that he wrote early on, to me, were just haunting, like Don't Bother Me. Yeah. Like that song. Great song, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, did, you ever, did you watch that doc, the, the, the Lennon thing, the Above Us Only Sky thing? The yes, new? yes. Did you see that moment where... Where he, George comes in and he's got this slide and, and 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 Lennon's working something on the piano out and he just looks at George, you know, for guitar support and it was like nothing was said and it it was right there. Yeah, and it was so moving to me. Nothing was. It was so clearly symbiotic that yeah. he completely trusted George in that moment. Well, that's his genius. George's genius. Another example which I read. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, uh, and I love her. Oh yeah. Down, 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 down. They didn't have that. That was oh, George. Oh, wow. George came up with that. Wow. So, like, what was your relationship with Tom along those lines in terms of songwriting? Well, it was telepathic, like you it said. Was. Um, there was not a, ever much discussion. Uh -huh. we, we just had a, I had a affinity for him and he had an affinity for me. And he would usually write songs on his own when he did and come in on acoustic right. or like, and just rhythm. Yeah. 
and I would just sit down like uh, you mentioned, Mystery Man. Uh, you know, uh, he started playing. I don't know. We just I just knew what he wanted, and I was able to to make it work with him. Yeah, we had that thing. It was yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it's a once in a lifetime thing we had yeah man and and so like in all the songs so usually what would happen is he'd have it on the acoustic and you guys would build it out he would usually have chords and yeah. rhythm and sing and yeah, right and, and then so you'd figure we out would, a we would join hook. in right we would join in and it always seemed to find a place yeah and i talked i talked to ben mon a while back mm. he's sort of like a wizard of kind of a yeah, kind huh absolutely yeah <laughs> it's sort of in the interesting because when i listen to your solo with the uh, the dirty knob solo like there's something about that record maybe like maybe like mojo or maybe one of the later records but uh of the heartbreakers but there's something about how you seem to cover it's almost like the band like you know this is american music in all its ways do you dig what i'm saying I, I know, but I didn't think about that. No, I know, I, but you I, know, I know what I'm what saying? you're saying. That, like, that, you know, that's a nice compliment. Right. Thank you. Because like, I think like Tom Petty, and I, you know, I go, uh, you, and you guys, the, the Tom Petty songbook is like a fucking classic American thing, man. Well, thank you. Right? I'm proud of those songs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are? Good. And I think that's why the Heartbreakers lasted. One reason they lasted so long is the songs are good, and they hold up over time. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. Oh, definitely. But um, now, when you go out with, because I, what? How how did the Fleetwood Mac trip happen? Well, um, uh, Tom passed away, oh, and yeah. I took some time, and then I realized I'd always thought my band, the Dirty Knobs, that if the Heartbreakers ever take a hiatus, that's what I want to do. I was at the second to the last show, by the way, at the Bowl. Oh yeah. Well, good. You yeah, you got I a did. piece Sorry. piece yeah. of that last. Yes, yeah, I did. So um, I was. I uh, took some time to yeah. grieve a little bit, and mm -hmm. then I started working on the Knobs record, and yeah. I had it like three quarters or more done, and then I got the phone call from Mick one day. Mm. And, uh, had you said, met him before? I had met him, yeah, I'd done a session with him once, but I didn't know him that well. Yeah. Uh, but I know Stevie really well. Anyway, he called up and said, you know, I've been listening to your catalog, and we want you to join the band. It's not <sighs> an audition. We want you to join the band. So I immediately thought, okay, yeah. We're joining the band. We're going to make a record. You yeah, know? Right. And I said, well, it starts with the songs. He said, oh, well, we have some tour dates first. We have some tour commitments. Uh -huh. I said, okay. Tricking like, you into the tour. Well, not <laughs> tricking me, but I was fine with it. <laughs> sure. That's just the way my mind works. You know? Right. Let's make a record. So yeah. uh, we, I put that on the back burner, which is fine. Yeah. And I said, okay. Uh, the tour ended up being a year and a half. <laughs> and God bless the knobs. They waited for me. Yeah. And so when that was over, I went right back to work on the record, and you know, in a week or two, I finished it. But like when you go, when you're stepping into the, the to those songs, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a heavy catalog. That's some big shit. Big, yeah, great songs. Big songs. Now, and Lindsay's very specific type of player. Absolutely. So what, what, I didn't see any of the shows. What do you do? Do you do his licks or what? Absolutely. Well, you have to on mm -hmm. those songs. Uh, it was a challenge for me because I wasn't used to doing that. I was right. used to playing my own songs and yeah. things. Playing so, Tom Petty songs too. Yeah. You know, Heartbreaker songs. Yeah, so, and yeah. songs that I came up with. Yeah, exactly. Talk so here I was, you know, like take any of those songs like uh, Dreams. Mm -hmm. It needs those guitar lines or the song doesn't work. <laughs> right. So I took the challenge on and uh, I dug in and learned them. Yeah. And, and played them. Yeah. Accurately. Yeah. And then in other places on other songs where they wanted something me to step out i could add my own thing but i looked at it like my job is to honor these songs right and to honor this band which i love and do the best i can to recreate 
those guitar parts the best I can. Yeah. And that's what I did. And did you like? Did you have to like you know figure out the equipment and shit? No, I no? just I used my amps and my guitars, but I did have to study the records quite a bit uh -huh. and really dig into what's he doing there? What is that note? Uh -huh. like, oh, I get it now. Okay. Now, when you do that for someone like him, who yeah, I assume you respect him as a guitar. Absolutely. Player. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you like like when you do the when you kind of have to figure out someone else's shit yeah. at this point in your life? Where you're sort of like, wow, that's interesting, you know, that he made that decision. Well, and you know, it's very similar to when I first started learning guitar. Right. I listened to a Beatles record. What's he doing? Right. <laughs> and yeah. the court, you know, in the course of that challenge, yeah, you, you learn things. Right. That you can take from it. Yeah. And so I had the same experience with that. I looked at like, or if, say, if the Heartbreakers were going to learn a cover. Uh huh. That had a guitar part in it. I'd go to learn it so I could at least right. you know, respect yeah, yeah, yeah. respect how it started. Yeah. And I found it was a very interesting process to to study those songs, yeah, and come and figure out what was going on on the guitar. And I learned a lot. Yeah, it's, yeah, because he's a different kind of guitar player than you. He is, yeah. In some ways, we're similar though. Yeah, uh, like um, say, "Go Your Own Way" at the end, where yeah. the, the soaring guitar, yeah, and that, that kind of stuff. We we play in a similar way, sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so those things were easy. Some of the more intricate finger picking right. and little lines he was doing took yeah. a little work for me to to pick it out and figure out what was going on. But I think I got it down pretty oh, good. And so are you going to make a record with them? Maybe. Oh, you um, don't know? I don't know yet. I know we're going to take a year and a half off and then see what they want to do. He's a hell of a drummer, isn't he? Oh, that rhythm section? I love that every night. John and Mick. Yeah. It were you a Peter a, Green fan? Yeah, I like Peter Green. Yeah. I liked uh, Paige and Beck and Clapton. Yeah. And Mick Taylor, maybe more. Sure. My taste, sure. but Peter Green was definitely up yeah. there. Yeah. You ever played with Mick Taylor? I haven't, but I would love to. I love his playing. Yeah, I haven't heard him in a while. Oh, he's good. Yeah. He has that feel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's yeah. slippery, tone. man. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So when you, okay, like I didn't realize until I was kind of poking around doing research, because me and my buddy Dean were talking about um, Don Henley, mm. and uh, you made some big songs with him. Yeah. Very. I mean- yeah, I mean, two. Yeah, the uh, Boys of Summer, right? Right. And now, what was the process of writing with Don Henley? Well, it's the same as writing with Tom. Oh, uh, yeah. What I was doing with Tom was I would put music together and make a demo yeah. you know, with all the instruments. And yeah. Show it to him. Uh huh. And if he liked it, he would start singing over it and come up with a song. Uh huh. And it was the same with Don. I had the piece of music. And yeah. I went over to his house with a little cassette player and sat down at the desk. Yeah. He listened in total silence. Right. And then I said, okay, and I left. And on the way home, the phone rang. He said, I got it. I wrote the great song to your music. I can't wait to do it. It happened just like that. But how does a call like that happen? Why Why are you over there at Don's Well, house? Jimmy Iovine. Oh, okay. Jimmy Iovine oh, he produced, had heard right. that, that demo on mine. And right. he called me and said, you know, Don Henley's looking for songs. Right. And I said, what kind of song does he want? He said, an image maker. <laughs> Interesting. But you're already well on your way with the with the Heartbreakers, right? Oh, yeah, right? we were deep. We were already deep in And Iovine was your guy, right? He was. Your, was he, he produced Damn the, the Torpedoes and a couple of albums in that era with us. Right, yeah. okay. He Our first mainstream commercial breakthrough was produced by Jimmy Iovine. He made the, the huge thing. Damn, to, Damn the Torpedoes, yeah, with Refugee and Here Comes My Girl and all those songs that was the, that was jimmy jimmy Ivine, yeah and then and then um oh so dan okay so you, that was your, what was that, your that. fourth record or your third record? our third record okay so that was the big record it, it changed everything yeah for us yeah 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 and so he's sort of like yeah hey don's looking what you got going you got yeah. anything sitting on the, on the well he's a an interesting guy he's brilliant because he also took we had stop dragging my heart around uh, -huh. uh which i had written with tom yeah and we had cut it, and we weren't so sure about it. And he said, hey, I think that could be a duet. 
he just happened to be doing a record with Stevie Nicks. So oh, that's just, how like, that happened. This over here, this over here. That's Bola. how that happened. Yeah. Are you guys still friends? Oh yeah, yeah. We have a deep connection. And your first two records were on Shelter Records, right? With it was 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 Leon around? Leon was around. He didn't play on those records, but it was his. Excuse me, his producer Danny Cordell. Uh huh. Who produced us, and so we were around his house. How does that? How did that happen with Shelter? Like, how you, so you guys are because I remember, like, what I remember when I was a kid when the first Tom Petty record come out. Like, it, it didn't really catch on here until later, right? Right. It was like England was a big deal, and they, right. you know, and then it came back around. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah, that's how it happened. But with Shelter Records, did you know anything about Shelter Records? Did you like? No, we were in Florida. and We made a demo. Yeah. And sent it out, and I think maybe London Records called back. Uh huh. And then Shelter called uh-huh. back. And Tom liked Denny Cordell. We all did. Yeah. We just hit it off. And so it was his label. Yeah. He, we were going to go out to California. We stopped at Tulsa on the way where Leon had a studio. <laughs> and Tulsa. met Denny and did yeah. a little recording. Then we went on out to L.A. And Denny took us under his wing and helped us with get the started. first couple, huh? Yeah. Because like... Uh, those was fr- essential. Yeah? You learned a lot from that guy? A lot. He was great at saying, well, you know, this song... Not so good. This song, go more in this direction. Mm-hmm. You know, he had an overall view. He wasn't a musician, but he knew songs. Yeah, and he knew style. Uh huh. And he he could tell which direction we should go in. Uh huh. He helped us that way a lot. And uh, but like, cause like I I know that Leon Russell he put he brought in uh, that later Freddie King shit. You know, True. on and Shelter. J.J. Kale. J.J. Kale. All that stuff. It was a great time. Dwight Twilley was on our oh, label. Oh, right, right. It was a really interesting time. A lot of stuff was going on. And then, what, I mean, like, I remember, I don't, I'm don't. i sure you've covered this shit before, but I mean, obviously, but like, w- what makes the big shift? I mean, Jimmy comes in, but you guys were between labels, or he took you? How does that happen? Well, it's a long story, but we yeah. were on Shelter Records, yeah. and they were having some financial trouble, and uh-huh. they... They sold their label to ABC Records mm-hmm. without telling us, mm-hmm. and then ABC sold to MCA without telling us. Mm. So we went, wait a second, you know, you can't do that. We don't want to be on that label. Right. We're not going to record. For MCA. Yeah. Yeah. So we did a lawsuit tour Yeah. For, to make money, because we yeah. weren't going to, we, we were playing hardball. We're not going to record your, yeah. until you fix our deal. Right. Because they had us under the old deal, which was kind of a shit deal. Yeah, right. I won't go into details. Right, but, the uh, Credence wanted, Clearwater to, Revival deal. We wanted to re, re, <laughs> much. renegotiate yeah. a fair sure. deal, yeah. and then we'll record. And eventually they came around. Oh, yeah. And then around that time, uh, we need a producer, and we'd heard uh, Patty Smith record, Because the Night. Oh, yeah. We said, oh, Jimmy Iving produced that. Let's get him. Oh, yeah. And so he came in and got us that sound, uh-huh. and we made that third record. It's so interesting, man. That's that, how stuff happens. You just, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you <laughs> fought for destiny. something, though. It's huh? destiny, but you fought for something. You could have gotten lost. Yeah, we you fought guys, for it. Yeah. yeah, but you guys stood up for yourselves. True. What, what do you? Do you guys have any relationship with Springsteen? I know him. I, I did. A, I produced an album for his wife, Patty. Oh yeah. Back in the '80s, that I'm really proud of. Yeah. Uh, most people haven't heard it, but it's a really good record. Sweet record. Yeah. Uh-huh. And. Uh, we have a good relationship, but we're not friends. We don't hang out or uh, keep in touch. Because I think, like, for me, like, you know, in terms of, like, great American music of the last 40 years, it's, you know, Springsteen and Petty, man. Yeah. All the way. Yeah, we got lumped in with him for a <laughs> while <know>. there. <laughs> you did? But he's totally different, man. Well, it's okay, though. Yeah, it's totally different. In some ways, yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of the approach. How yeah. about Keith? Did you ever play with Keith? I played with Keith uh, at a rehearsal once. Was that a big thrill? Oh, it was It was an amazing <laughs> night. Uh I don't even think he even knew who I was, but uh, 
It was amazing, yeah. What did uh, you get from Keith? Because we talked about George, and you yeah. brought George up and Keith in the same sentence. Like, yeah. you know, for me, like you know, when I listen to Keith, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just an amateur guitar player, right. and I don't know about all those open tunings, but right. you know, he, he, he just chooses the weirdest moments to fill the gap. Yeah, and he's got his own groove, and you know, it seems like Charlie's following him. Right. But you know, it's no one plays like that, but you can't really explain it. Can you? Uh, I could probably try to explain it, but I wouldn't want to. Yeah, it's a, it's his instinctual way of playing. But you know, speaking of Chuck Berry, and I, you mentioned it. Okay. If you think about it, George Harrison and Keith in the beginning both did Chuck Berry songs. That's right. And they both picked up on that. Keith took it. I mean, the, the interesting thing about the tunings and all that that yeah. I found, I looked. I uh, love the Stones from the beginning before he was doing the open tuning yeah. he was doing more of a Chuck Berry kind sure. of stuff and, and the songs also the writing Yeah. but what's beautiful about what Keith did is about I don't know four years into his career he reinvented his whole style with that open tuning right you know the street fighting man and yeah I think Ry Cooter gave it to him yeah so and that's that's you know it's hard to do to to get good once, but then to recreate yourself and and go past it twice with, is really amazing. With that open tuning, you ever fuck around with that? Oh yeah, I use it all the time. Was it a D? Well, there's different ones. Yeah, which yeah. one does he use? G is the, is the one I'm more familiar. G and, G and A. And Muddy used a G too, right? Well, yeah, they all used them all. I guess E, <laughs> yeah, G, yeah. right. You know, yeah. Just and, tune it to an open chord, whatever chord. And what does that get you? It gets you a harmonic. It gets you a full sound. Right. Without having to push your fingers down. Right. All your fingers. You just put one thing, clang, there yeah, it is, yeah, this yeah. big full ring Right, yeah, cord. yeah, yeah. And then you're forced to come up with things on top of that. Right. So it pushes you into different voicings and uh-huh. feels and things. Yeah. yeah. Did you use some of that on this record? On uh, this record. Well, you don't even think I about don't it think anymore. I used the open tunings on this record, but on, on the heart pickers over the years, I, I used it a few times. Yeah. And what, where are you at with between uh, finger picking and pick picking? I've been talking to a lot of dudes now. Everyone's into the playing with the fingers now. Two fingers. It's interesting you say that because I find as I get older, I don't pick up the pick as much as I used to. I'll just play with my fingers. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And. You a two finger guy? Uh, two, three. Yeah, two or three. Sometimes one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever is in the is is in the space to get the job done. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a different sound when you're just picking with your thumb, right? Yeah. Um, well, I learned when I when I first started finger picking, yeah. I liked Chet Atkins, and I had That's the thumb that. pick, oh, and my God. I could never get the cumbersome thing with the picks and the thumb picks. So I just threw that away and started playing with my thumb. But I learned the stuff without the pick, and I just, so I can play with my thumb. Uh, you can do Chet Atkins those riffs. Yeah. Oh my God. I can show you something later. I'll, but uh, yeah, I learned those records, some of those songs. Uh, I wanted to know how to do that. Yeah. The reason was when yeah. I first started playing guitar, my relatives would come over and I go, "I'm learning the guitar and play us something." Yeah. Here's a D. <laughs> Right, right. I got you got to figure out how to impress them. Here's a lick. Yeah. And they go, oh, great. And they walk away. Right. If next time they come over, I'm going to play the whole song, bass and rhythm and melody, Chet Atkins. Oh, yeah. So I forced myself to learn that so I wouldn't be embarrassed. Oh, here's one. And they go, whoa, how do you do that? Yeah. (laughs) If you do a whole Chet Atkins run. And then you've got that skill set. Yeah, yeah. And it it, it taught me coordination and it's just, you know, part of learning. And what do you, like, you spend a lot of time with Dylan, I guess, huh? Quite a bit. Several years we we toured around yeah. with the with the Heartbreakers and Dylan. Yeah, and I've done a few records just uh, with him without the Heartbreakers. And what do you, what do you, what what do you get the what's the sense of him that like I mean he's such a, a, a mysterious kind of interesting dude. Yeah. 
you know, what did you find outside of like you know that moment where you, you're talking about the the sort of meeting in the middle on the rhythm thing on the Chuck mm-hmm, Berry thing? Mm-hmm. What else is what what is his magic? You know, what what did you learn from that dude? Oh, what did I learn? I from mean, him? in a sense of like being around it. Like, is it a songwriting trip? Is it a presence trip? Is it's it... all those things. It's confidence. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I mean, nobody can do what he does. It's a band leader thing, too? Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, one thing I learned from him yeah. uh, that was a little awkward at first was that he, when he was touring with us, we rehearsed and learned a lot of songs yeah. in a certain way. Right. When we get on stage, he might change it. Right. He was brave. That's the word. He's brave. The Heartbreakers, if we had a song, it works like this. We're going to play it like this because we don't want to lose them. Uh-huh. And he kind of thought, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh-huh. And if I lose them, okay. I probably won't, but I'm not worried about it. I'll get them back. He had that. Yeah, I'll get them back. <laughs> They'll pay for that. <laughs> but I think it was just a courage and bravery in everything he did. That yeah. was, I hope I learned some of that from him. So now, when you look back at the catalog, you know of uh, what were your like when you think about the Tom Petty's uh, and the Heartbreakers records, you know which ones are like ones where you're like, oh man, that one is fucking magic forever. I mean, I know there's a lot of them, but like which record were you guys? Did you think you guys were really? I like that first record, and I'll tell you why. It's the one I go back to. It was those songs, and it was us finding who we were. You know, especially like American Girl. I remember when we did that song, like, and I heard it back. And I was like, how did we do that? But that's us. Nobody else can do that. Right. Like we can do that. That's our thing. Right. The way he sang it, the 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 lyric imagery, oh, yeah. the harmonics in the instruments. We found a thing. Yeah. And so that album is, is and all the songs on it, I like. Um, Me too. I always go back to that one. I mean, I like all the albums sure. for different different songs here and there. Yeah. But if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with that one. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that yeah. first record. Yeah, because you could feel the magic. The I magic guess. of discovery. Right. right. We're, finding, we're finding what we are. Yeah. And I, you can hear that in the tracks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how long did it take to record that thing? Uh, not too long. Because um, it must be different, man. As, but even but you guys were playing live. You said the last couple, but you, like even watching Jimmy Iovine and like dealing with. And obviously you're different than Bruce, but like you know, a studio thing. I I recorded something in a studio once, and I'm like, holy shit, this is a job. How yeah. do you keep this fresh? Well, that's a challenge. It's part of the gig. Right. No, I get it. Yeah. Um, but I guess the purity of the first record, mm-hmm. and then like, did you find that you you know because of the studio, it becomes different? Well, you know, it's interesting. The first record wasn't really done in a proper studio. It was done in the shelter office. They had brought some gear out from Tulsa uh-huh. and set it up in an office. So it was just a room wow. and then a window and a little room that they made into a control room. Yeah. And it was like a garage, really. We were just all, they were learning how to record us. We were learning how to play and write. Wow. And uh, so when you get into a sterile studio, it can be a real challenge huh. to keep the energy and spark going. Yeah, I bet. It's uh, But that's part of the job. That's huh? that's the hardest part of it, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned it. Yeah, and playing live, you love it. Oh, I love playing live. Yeah, I'll never stop. I can't believe how many dates you guys must have done on the road all the time. Yeah, I think about that too. I don't know how you guys hit the notes there. You know, hit them right every time, but I guess that's the job too, huh? Well, you love it. You know, yeah. you love something, you do it. Yeah. You know, I love playing, and I just can't imagine stopping. And I, I just, I'm looking forward to this. You know, I don't care if there's two people there. I'm going to show up and play. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And the good thing about that, when you're in a band, is like there may be two people out there, but you got all your guys over here. There you go, yeah. And we're going to play. 
Well, man, it was great talking to you. You too. And uh, I, I, I really hope you wish you all the success in the world. And uh, you know, well, when we play the Troubadour, come down and see us. Yeah, I definitely will. You know, I, I love your music. I love it's a really music. good band. You're doing yourself, and I love all the shit you did with Tom. And thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Mike Campbell, nice guy, good guitar player. The Dirty Knobs' Reckless Abandon is now available wherever you get your music. And now let's do some shoegazing. Uh, 